Charter fishing boat begins to sink out in the gulf, begins to fill with water. The captain asks the passengers on the boat, does anybody really know how to pray? One man with a lot of confidence, a lot of vigor says, yes, Captain, I do. Captain says, okay, you begin praying. The rest of you put on a life jacket. We're one short. It'll take a second, but you'll catch what happened there. (laughs) Prayer friends, is a bigger reality than a sinking boat. Prayer is a bigger reality than a sinking boat, but it's a reality that a lot of us do not live in. And there are two reasons for that. One is bad definitions. We believe that prayer is really about getting something. It's about going to God, talking to God like Santa Claus, and it's about asking, and it's about getting, which leads to the second problem with prayer and that is we we entertain these illusions of control that we have the talent we have the resources we have the ability to figure it out on our own or to get it on our own so why pray and so prayer is not accessed although Paul tells the church in Ephesians to pray in the spirit on all occasions on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests The goal over this last week and today, this two-week mini-series on prayer, is that we should not dread prayer, but be drawn to it. And the key statement that we've been using to kind of tie these thoughts together, and we're going to focus our thoughts today, is this. Prayer is about God and not getting. Prayer is about God and not getting. Again, asking God and requesting of God is not wrong. In fact, it's taught as a component of prayer. And we are taught that God, like a father, loves to give or or loves to be asked for the things that he loves to give his children, but it's not the core. Prayer is about a relationship with God. It It is a relationship at its core that is about becoming more and more intimate, drawn closer and closer to God. Now think about any relationship. In any relationship that is going to deepen over space and time, from the superficial to the intimate, it will always, it will always, no exceptions, put the other at the center and not be what you can get out of it. Theologically, everything moves to oneness. Where sin separates everything, Theologically, the Bible is talking about our redemption, our reconciliation, forgiveness, what God is doing in the world. It's about pulling everything towards oneness and intimacy. I mean, think about marriage just for a second. The first teaching, the very first teaching on marriage happens when Adam sees Eve for the first time. And he says, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. It's intimacy. It's, it's, it's being able to say that this person feels like they live inside of me and I live inside of them. And that kind of oneness and that kind of uh, being drawn together with God is part of the, uh, part of the, the, the result of a, of a deepening prayer life with God. Intimacy with God is possible because He puts God the Spirit in you so that you can say not just Father, but Abba. That intimate way that a child would, in Aramaic would respond to, to his, his, his earthly father. That's the way we as disciples of Jesus respond to God. In fact, Paul will write to the church in the region of Galatia and say, Because you are his sons, 
God has put the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the same Spirit that calls out, Abba, Father. It is that same Spirit that testifies on a daily basis that you are a child of God. And so as we defined prayer this last week, it's this way. Prayer is our personal interaction with the Creator who eagerly, not reluctantly, but eagerly engages with us as a loving Father. Prayer is our personal interaction with the Creator who eagerly engages with us as a loving Father. And last week we talked about the five realities that stand behind prayer. That as we go each day, multiple times during the day, these are just a few, five, that stand behind the reality of prayer. The first one is creation. When we look at creation, we are, we, creation is telling us this didn't just happen, there is a God. It's not just when we pray a spasm of words into an indifferent cosmos. And then secondly, there's Jesus. When Jesus came, he taught us that the most, the, the, the most popular way, or at least the, the way that he did it most, was to refer to God as Father. That God is not scary, that God is not a monster, that God is approachable. And then there's the Holy Spirit, which we just talked about, that testifies on a daily basis that God is not supposed to be distant, but that we're His children. It is that Spirit inside of you as a disciple of Jesus that is telling you on a daily basis that you're a child, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a daughter, you're a son. And that's one of the reasons the Spirit is in us, to give us that connection of intimacy in a growing sense on a daily basis. And then there's the Word of God itself, the Bible When we read the Bible from Genesis to the maps, prayer is explained. There are parables that are told. And you know, the the point of parables is, is to slow us down and to make us think about what the parable is saying and to think deeply about it. Uh, Prayer is illustrated. The first 72 Psalms that we find out of the 150 are referred to as the prayer book of David, the son of Jesse. That's at the end of Psalm 72. There are, there's prayer and indications of prayer and hints of prayer and illustrations of prayer throughout the Bible. And then the last reality that we talked about last week are just the answers. The answers to prayer. The way that God has heard your prayer and answered them is, is proof that God listens and that God responds and that prayer is a reality. So last week we talked about the five realities behind prayer, that when we go to prayer, there are five realities that should encourage us to deepen in prayer and to go to prayer rather than to dread it. This morning I want to give you two practices and we're done. Two practices, and I want to begin by reading the the same instructions that Ben read just a couple of minutes ago from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is teaching And he's teaching what life in the kingdom of God is all about, what it means to to love, what it means to be blessed, what it means when your anger is out of control, and what it means to love even your enemies and not just those that can love you back. And then he gets to this this place in the middle of the sermon where he's going to talk about how you grow intimate with God and how your, your acts of piety and the spiritual disciplines, and one of these is prayer. And he says, beginning in verse 5, when you pray, which is an assumption on Jesus' part, that we as His disciples are going to pray as He prayed. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, right after this, Jesus gives the model prayer. But in beginning to describe prayer and to teach about prayer, he talks about a danger that human beings are going to face when it comes to praying. Praying in in a very tangible, palpable way to a God who is unseen to us. And that danger is hypocrisy. That is the danger to our prayer life. It's not praying to God. But it's praying for a reputation to be seen by men. And it's not praying to God, but at God. You're babbling on, like as he calls it, the the pagans. Now remember, our, our big prayer idea is that prayer is about God and not getting. The, the danger that Jesus is describing reverses all of that. It's a prayer that is about getting. It's about getting something other than God. And in this particular case, it's getting the praise of men. Meaning that it's about me and not about God. And one of the things that Jesus says very point blank, do not be like them because this is what it means to pray in a hypocritical sense. It looks like it's connected to God on the outside, but it's not connected in the heart. And Jesus says that is not the target of prayer. And when you are serious about making God at the center of your prayer, then you're going to begin to do two things. You're going to find a private location, and you're going to use personal language. A a private location and personal language. Let's begin with private location. You've heard it said all your life, you never know what's happening until you know what's happening behind closed doors. The point is that what happens behind closed doors is, is really the reality. The same is true with prayer. Let me give you an example, and and unfortunately I'm going to be pretty self-referential this morning, and I apologize for that, but it's the best illustrations I have. Ellen and I have a marriage where there are talk patterns or or daily talk patterns that we experience. Uh, We get up in the morning, we talk in the morning, we, we text throughout the day, Uh, I will usually call it lunch, although she may call it lunch sometimes, call on the way home. She'll call me when she gets off work. I'll call her when I get off work, and then we talk in the evening while we're cooking and we're eating dinner, and then we'll talk as we're getting ready to go to bed. And you know what? Those are great and they're meaningful conversations. But if you were to ask her where her best conversations with me, the most intimate conversations with me take place, she will tell you, that they take place when we're alone in the car going someplace. And I would agree. This last October, we drove to Montana. Do you know how far it is round trip from here to Montana? 3,920 miles, and we drove every mile of them. Just the two of us. And you know what we did for those, 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 those two days there and those two days back? We talked. We talked about everything from our our children 
and our granddaughter and the grandchildren that are coming in May, we, we talked about what are the ways that we can begin to help resolve the issues of race in our country, uh, the problem of, of sex trafficking in our city, how we can how we can be better in our health, how we can deal with retirement, how we can deal with the future. You name any subject important to her life and to my life together, and that's what we talked about uninterrupted. And at the end of all those conversations, you know what it felt like? She was living inside of me and I was living inside of her. You know, something that I've, I've done since college is to have a special place to go to pray. There was a time when it was literally a closet. There was a time when it was at a desk in the library. For the last uh, 20 years, it's been McAllister Park, a thousand acre park just north of the airport. That park over the last two decades has become a sacred place to me. I used to get up at uh, four and, and begin to head out the door. The older I get, the more sleep I need. So it's out the door by 6.30 in the morning. 4.3 miles later, I'm, I'm home. But in that hour and 20 minutes, I am silent in the presence of God. Alone in the presence of God. At prayer with Father. And every prayer that you have ever heard me lift up to God, whether publicly or, or in groups or, or whatever, it, it, it began in private. And this is what it means, church. Brothers and sisters, this is what it means to follow the example of Jesus when it comes to prayer. In Mark chapter 1, Mark records this very busy day in the Shabbat, this Sabbath in the day of Jesus. He goes on the Sabbath to the synagogue. He teaches and teaches. Everybody's just amazed. And that amazement turns into a reputation that they begin to spread about Jesus. His fame begins to spread. But that's not the only thing that happens that morning. There's this demon-possessed man that comes into the synagogue, and Jesus heals him of that possession. And then right after that, and everybody is super amazed. I mean, this, you talk about a busy morning. Yeah, you know, it's not just teaching or preaching a sermon, but Jesus actually heals somebody of a demon. But he's not done. He goes after, after the, the Shabbat service ends. He goes two blocks down the street to Simon Peter's house. And Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and he heals her. And she gets up and makes sandwiches for everybody. And, you know, they, they have lunch. And then later that night, after the sun goes down and the Saturday is over, the Sabbath is over, Mark says the entire town of Capernaum showed up on his front step, and he spent the entire night healing people of their diseases and, and teaching. And then we read in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, and he goes off to a, a solitary place, the Greek word is eremos, to a lonely place where he prayed. And it was known, that place was known to the disciples. So when they got up the next morning, they know that Jesus is gone, but they know where to find him. He's at the eremos, he's at the solitary place, that lonely place where he goes to pray while it's still dark early in the morning. 
In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going to do some teaching on, on prayer, but it's after his disciples ask him about it because they're sitting there watching him pray. And, and Luke tells us that Jesus was praying in a certain place. The, the challenge for us as, as humans in this busy, fast-paced, stressful, did I mention busy life, is to find that private, behind-closed-door space for prayer, for conversation, for time with God on a daily basis. Your challenge, like Jesus, is to find that certain place, that solitary, lonely place, the inside of a car. It's, it's not drive-by conversations. I mean, drive-by prayers are fine, but it's, it's the conversations with your spouse as it is with the conversations with God that are intimate and private and long-lasting that make sense. Charles and John Wesley, names you know, powerhouses for the kingdom of God. They grew up in a house where they saw on a daily basis their mother Susanna in the middle of the day sit down in a rocking chair, grab her apron, throw it over her head, and start rocking. And it was a sign to the kids, don't bother mother, she's praying. The challenge, take those five realities behind prayer and begin with the two practices of finding a a private, daily place to pray to God. And then secondly, personal language. Personal language. Going back to Ellen and to me, uh, the way Ellen and I talk to each other in the car after nearly 40 years of marriage is not where we started. And that makes sense, right? When we started dating, we didn't know each other at all. She was 18, I was 19. I didn't know how to have a conversation with a girl. I was was trying to become a human being with the opposite sex rather than the wrecking ball that I had been. And so those beginning conversations were, Ellen, they were were entry-level, they were starter-level conversations. What's your favorite Led Zeppelin song? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite Dallas Cowboy? What do you mean you don't like football? You know, I'm surprised to this day that she saw anything interesting at all from those beginning conversations. I mean, that's where I began. I began awkward and nervous and dumb. And now it is one of the most intimate, vulnerable, secret sharing, soul-to-soul, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, body-to-body conversations that I, and connection that I have ever had with another human being. Prayer is the same way. Prayer is a relationship. And not just any relationship. Prayer is, is, is an, an invitation to a relationship with the unseen creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in between. And it begins awkward. And that's why we teach our children, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Prayer is a relationship that begins awkward. It begins in nervous, twitchy, fidgety, kinds of ways but through space and time prayer becomes personal 
And it moves from personal to intimate. Jesus taught that prayer is more than just babbling. It's more than magic phrases to manipulate God into doing something. That's called magic, not prayer. It's more than a word count, but it is the language of children who love their father, speaking to their father whom they know loves them more than anything else. And he loves to be asked for the things that he loves to give. But more than anything else, like any father, like any grandfather, he loves it when his children seek to be in his presence and to pour out their heart. Let's be drawn to prayer. Let's be drawn to prayer. Let's not dread it. And let's find ourselves growing in intimacy with God and understanding how prayer works not only in our lives but in the world and be blessed and be blessed. Let's stand and sing.